0: Hello, 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 and welcome to the Katie Halper Show. We are so excited about tonight's show. It's going to be really great. We have an all-star cast. We have uh, Marianne Williamson, the former presidential candidate and the best-selling author, The Phenomenon. Make sure you check out her work, her Transform podcasts, and her Transform substack. We also have joining us two amazing congressional candidates. Rebecca Parson and Jason Call, and we're gonna talk more about who they are shortly, but they are non-corporate congressional candidates. And we are going to talk about challenging Biden from the left. We're gonna talk about the state of American politics, I mean, international politics, inevitably also. We're going to talk also about why these two progressives are running as Democrats, given how critical they are of the Democratic Party. And there's, of course, a lot of debate and discussion about how redeemable the Democrats are, About whether people should be running as Democrats, so we're going to get into all of that. But before I bring in our guests, just a little bit of logistics. So welcome to the Katie Halper show. So glad to be joined by all of you. Lovely to see you all. We're going to follow up the live stream show with a call-in show. Now, call-in is an app, so everyone, get out your cell phones and download the app. Call-in. It's a free app if you have an iPhone, or I think you can actually now do it on Android. But it's especially cool if you have an iPhone, you'll you'll hear why in a second. But download the app callin and then you'll see the link, probably if you go to Katie Helper show or the Katie Helper show, just download Colin. you'll be able to find the show. And you'll be able to ask us questions. so you'll be able to call in and ask us questions. Also want to thank everyone for becoming Patreon supporters. We passed the a thousand mark, which is amazing, so we couldn't do this show without you. We're so grateful to everyone who became Patreon supporters. And if you're not a Patreon supporter, please consider becoming a Patreon supporter. For just $1 a month, you help the show happen. For $5 a month, you get exclusive premium content, extended interviews, extra interviews. So highly recommend it, if I do say so myself. Also, please subscribe. This is the way you can support the show for free. You just hit subscribe, subscribe, and then the bell. Also, you can become YouTube members. And some new members are in the chat tonight. Lauren, thank you, Lauren, for becoming a new member. Felicity became a new member. Thank you so much for that. You get badges and you also get emojis, little Bodhi emojis. We'll have to show people those. Bodhi is my very cute dog. So we'll, we'll give you guys a, a tour of those on another show. But want to thank everyone. So I think we're just going to bring in our first guest. So excited to bring her in. You know her. You love her. The inimitable thought leader, spiritual leader, and political leader, Marianne Williamson. Hello, Marianne. Hi, beautiful Katie. How are you? Good. You? Good. Thank you. Thank you so
1: much for joining the show. Oh, I'm happy to be here. Always happy to be here.
0: So we're going to get into two discussions, two related discussions. One is that you and Crystal Ball and Brianna Joy Gray and I did a live stream for Stephen Donziger. Then you and I and Crystal and Kyle Kalinske did a live stream for Julian Assange. And next week, you and I and Crystal Ball and Brianna Joy Gray and Juliana Ferlano are doing another stream, and it's going to be for non-corporate congressional candidates. And we're going to be talking more about that with our guests who are coming to join us, who are two of those very impressive non-corporate candidates. But you're also someone who's been getting a lot of chatter. You're in the zeitgeist, as you always are. But now there's been talk of a progressive challenging Biden. And you're one of the names that people have floated out there. People talked about Nina Turner, but we now know that that's impossible because she's running for Congress. Wanted to know your thoughts kind of in general about what litmus tests you think there should be for someone to challenge Biden, if there is one at all, and then your thoughts on it personally.
1: Well I don't think the issue is who at this moment so much as it's what. And every day I think more and more that there must be a what. There must be a challenge to the Biden agenda. Whether it has to do with children who are dying in Yemen because we are selling for over a billion dollars arms to Saudi Arabia, an arms sale that Trump had bragged about but which I thought most of us thought based on his own words that um that Biden would have reversed, whether it has to do with the starving people in Afghanistan and the horrific exit that we made there. More and more, I'm hearing about, reading about, and interfacing with women going through the most horrific situations when our exit from Afghanistan did not prioritize um, helping these women to get out, who had worked as activists, as humanitarians, and in many ways, with the United States, whether it has to do with the college loan debt that Biden could end tonight if he wanted to, whether it has to do with Medicare for all that he effectively could make happen tonight if he wanted to by declaring a national medical emergency, whether it has to do with, again, a Trump-era prosecution of Julian Assange, something we thought that Biden would reverse, but that he's just hunkering down around, whether it has to do with the fact that he could deschedule marijuana from a Schedule One drug. There are just so many ways where when he said nothing will change, I think a lot of us didn't realize just how serious he was. And we're living at a time of crossroads in this country. We're, we're in decline. We're in decline in this country. And it's not going to fix itself. If there's going to be a pattern interruption of the trajectory of decline, it's going to be because we, the people, make it happen. And Biden is far too aligned with the corporatist agenda that has gotten us here. The idea that an entire class of politicians who basically drove us into the ditch are now claiming that they're the only people qualified to lead us out of the ditch is absurd to me. So once again, it's not a matter of who, but it is a matter of what, and it's a matter of a very different way of looking at our economy and our politics than is now dominant in Washington. What we have now is what paved the way for Trump. What we have now is what, unfortunately, seems to be inviting in, at least the way things are going now, in the midterms, more of the same. And if we only offer more of the same in 2024, then I fear, I fear for our democracy.
0: And are there any positions that you think people need to present? Like, I know platforms only go so far, right? But- They can be a kind of a bare minimum. Are there any hard lines you think that people need to make in order to even be considered challengers to Biden?
1: Well, there's the challenges to Biden, and then there's also the issue of the midterms and the non-corporate-backed candidates that we've supported, which, of course, has to do with the Medicare for All, cancellation of college loan debt, Green New Deal, free college, and so forth. But I think for a presidential candidate, a presidential primary—now, we don't know if, if Biden's going to run again, of That's course. The other thing, right? So this person might be primarying Biden. They just might be primarying the whole cabal of— you know ken and barbie doll politicians who unfortunately seem to be the the core of the democratic party these days very different than the traditional Uh, values of the Democratic Party that I grew up with. I grew up with a Democratic Party that was indisputably the channel for the deepest yearning of, of Americans who sought a just society, economically just society, socially just society, criminally just society, in which, although we had never been the full embodiment of our ideals of a government of the people, by the people, and for the people, could at least be seen to be making a damn good effort at it. And of course, that can only happen through a political channel that stands indisputably and unequivocally for the working people of the United States. So whoever is primarying Biden or a Biden-esque agenda, you know, it's not even a person anymore. There's Trump. And then there's a Trump-esque agenda. There's Biden and a Biden-esque agenda. And uh, we need a serious pattern interruption back to a party that puts the health and the safety and the well-being of the American people and people of the world, for that matter, and the planet on which we live before The goal of short-term profit maximization for the huge corporate entities, whether it has to do with insurance companies or uh, big pharmaceutical companies or big oil or big chemical companies, big agricultural companies, military industrial complex. As long as that network, that matrix of corporate forces, which happens to be the corporate behemoth that has a chokehold on Congress, I mean, Congress is basically a handmaiden. It's a system of legalized bribery that does the bidding of these corporate forces. Forces. This is not only hollowed out our middle class; that's now hollowing out our democracy itself. So, yes, in order for the Democratic Party to have any chance of being what the Democratic Party even claims to be, and in order for our democracy to have a chance, we have to make a radical break from the last forty years.
0: Right. Yeah, I was going to say. I mean, there, that's the Democrats at least used to claim, and to some extent, you know, we FDR obviously was a significant social democrat and really changed society in many ways. Then you had Johnson and Kennedy, who, you know, they also, Johnson was responsible for the Vietnam War. So we're not whitewashing history either. But there certainly were Democrats who did things that now would not be thought of. And they it's nice that people, I mean, they'd be thought of by we the people, but they wouldn't be considered politically viable, even though they are. But I, I think that the Dems have been selling out for so long they don't even pander. They don't even know how to pretend to be the thing that they used to pretend to be and sometimes were.
1: Yeah, of course, the tragedy of Johnson is the incredible distinction on one hand, a general, genuine war criminal with the Vietnam War. And on the other hand, the most enlightened uh, domestic president uh, since FDR. I mean, can you imagine a president today declaring war on poverty? So absolutely. You know, we're at a point now where the most scandalous, corrupt things, you know, Republicans just say, yeah, what of it? And Democrats themselves don't bother apologizing too much anymore. It's just kind of normalized. We have corruption is normalized in the U.S. government today. You know, this whole thing started with the Republicans, but no Democratic president has stopped it. You know, you can trace to 1980s. You can trace to trickle down economics. You can trace to, you know, this whole idea of stockholder capitalism. The fiduciary responsibility of the corporation only being to the financial gain of the stockholders, even at the expense of other stakeholders, uh, such as the workers, the community, the environment. Yes, that started with Reagan, but no Democratic president has really stopped it. So at this point, neither party can be self-congratulatory about any of this. Both of them have driven the car that got us to where we are.
0: Right. And Bill Clinton really helped solidify so many of the attacks on the working class that Reagan put into
1: place. Well, with the Democratic, what was it, the Democratic Leadership Council, with with Clinton, they inaugurated this idea that we could have it both ways. Right. So the Democrats, even now, try to ameliorate the pain on the periphery. You know, Clinton would say, I feel your pain. So the Democrats, you know, it's like the the Republicans are ignoring people's pains and almost congratulating themselves for it. The Democrats are trying to ameliorate the pain on the suffering. You know, here's $1,200. Good luck to you. Here's the child tax credit, but only for a while. Um, th- it's an amelioration of the pain on those periphery, but it's a refusal to really challenge the underlying corporate forces that make all that suffering inevitable. Yeah. And the
0: betrayal, of course, by the Democrats is in some ways that much more stinging than the Republicans who uh, never really, I don't think, claimed to be the party of the working class. I mean, they, they tried to trick people into thinking that trickle down would help them, but they didn't historically.
1: Yeah, well, it's a mindfuck. You know, if you have, if your father beat you up and your mother stood out in the hall wringing her hands just so upset that daddy's beating you and when your beating is finished, mommy's going to give you cookies and hot chocolate, but she's not going to call the police and she's not even going to leave him. When you grow up and go into therapy 20 years later, you're more angry at mommy than at daddy.
0: Oh yeah. The enabler. hmm Who you thought was going to protect you. At some point.
1: Well, also, you know, I'm old enough to have an institutional memory. Some of us remember a time when the Democrats were, uh, not that we were, you know, like you were talking about not whitewashing Johnson. I'm not whitewashing the Democratic Party. But when I grew up, there was a sense, even when I was a young woman, it was the party that was trying. And also, I grew up at a time where the coattails of FDR were very real. This is who your parents talked about at dinner. The young people today don't even have a memory They have no experience of a time when they knew that the Democratic Party was really on their side. And some of them have a memory of a time when they really thought Barack Obama was going to be. We all did. I certainly did. And I remember with Obama, because in 2008, I I totally bought into it. And I remember really getting the kind of bait and switch that he represented. And I remember when I first started talking about it, people were angry at me. And then I remember Matt Taibbi. This is when I first got to know Matt, you know, his, his work. I didn't know him personally, but when he said, no, it's, it's true. And I could say, see, this guy said it in Rolling Stone or whatever it was, that uh, this is not what we were told was going to happen. You feel like you've been banduzled when that happens. You've been tricked. And we were. And what are the things
0: that you feel like you learned the most through running that you didn't see before?
1: First of all, I didn't know how vicious the system was. I didn't know how brutal the DNC would be if they want to do offstage, the links they would go. That's number one. And number two, I don't think I, even though it's a, as I've said this so many times, the system is more corrupt than I even knew, and people are even more wonderful, more intelligent, more decent than I knew. It was so moving, not just impressive, but moving to be around the voters in the primary states. They were very aware of how important their role was, very up on the issues. They would kick the tires. Man, you go in and talk to them. What about this? What about that? And I have seen, not only based on that experience, but my entire career, we are a decent people. I'm not saying we're better than people in other countries, but we're decent good people. I don't think Americans are happy about what's going on. The problem is not the consciousness of the American people. If you look at issue after issue. A majority of Americans want Medicare for all. A majority of Americans want to cancel the college loan debt. A majority of Americans want free college. A majority of Americans want a more righteous foreign policy. A majority of Americans want to feel we're we're at least trying to be a good country. The problem is not the American people. The problem is a political system that consistently and systematically obstructs the will of the American people. And right now, that includes our president. He is not serving the will of the people. He is not serving... The goal of really helping tens of millions of Americans, whether it has to do with half a million Americans are homeless, two million kids every year who are experiencing homeless, 18 million Americans who can't even afford to get the prescription drugs that their doctors are prescribing for them, whether it has to do with these young people who are so shackled by these college loan debt. It's like we've just, we have just we act like there's this bubble, which there is a bubble. And, you know, Washington, D.C., I live here now. They say all the time, you know, it's, it's a bubble. It's not a bubble. Energetically, it's worse than that. It's like a walled city. These people are talking about an America that is really just the America of the people who are voting for them or the people who are donating to them because there are so many tens of millions of people out there. They don't even bother anymore. They're so crushed. And this is not the America when I was growing up. Once again, not whitewashing, but there was hope in the air that wasn't just bullshit. It wasn't just a slogan. It was a sense that we could change things. It's going to be harder now. When I heard, you know, Katie, did you see the video of Biden yesterday talking about young people? No. What did he say? I couldn't believe he said it. He said, oh, I hear young people say that uh, they have it so hard. You know what I say to that? Oh, give me a break. Is he this said, new or is this old? I think so. I responded to it on Twitter. He famously said at some
0: event, young people, they complain about how hard it is. Give me a break. I have no empathy. You know what? Because we, when we were out there, we- Yes, that. Was that old yeah, or yeah, young? Yeah. I just saw it. Yes. It's a few years old, but it's unbelievable to me that that hasn't been picked up more.
1: I can tell you, I was there. Yes, there were real problems, but the system wasn't so locked up. The system wasn't so locked up. There wasn't the level, there was the level of pain that people feel now, but there wasn't the level of despair that there's nothing we can do to fix it. And the people are going to have to step in now, Katie. I don't think the issue is who. I think the issue is each and every one of us in our own way.
0: Yeah, that was disgusting.
1: He literally says out loud, no empathy. No empathy. I mean, the entitlement. give me a
0: break. Give me a break. Give me a break. I got no empathy. The entitlement is just obscene that he would say that out loud. Like, we know that you think that and you have no empathy for other people. I mean, what always kills me with Biden and empathy is that I'm actually, I find Hunter Biden's story pretty tragic. I feel bad for him. And I believe that people who have addiction issues and substance abuse issues should be given treatment, not jail time. But all the empathy that Hunter got because his father is Joe Biden is just the opposite of the absolute suffering and torture that other people got because they were not Joe Biden's son, but because they lived under the laws passed by Joe Biden, who bragged, of course, that every major and minor crime bill has the name of the Democrat senator from Delaware on it.
1: So But you know, I I don't know. I thought he had learned something. Hmm. And, you know, it's tough even to say this. It's like you were talking about, you're going to be talking to the congressional candidates today. Am I going to vote Democratic in in 2022? You better believe I am. Well, actually, I live in Washington, D.C., so we we actually don't get to vote, but, you know, supporting non-corporate back. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, speaking of that, let's bring in our guest, shall we? This has been great. And so you're not saying either way what's going to happen with Marianne Williamson entering the presidential race. You're focused on the issues, not the person.
1: I'm doing what everybody I know is doing right now, thinking through it.
0: I just gave you a good slogan, though. The person, not the issues. If on the off chance you decide to. The person, not the issues.
1: Yeah, it's like, uh, what what do they say? There's a saying in AA, actually, something not personalities. But it is the person, actually, right now. I'm just saying, I don't know if it's me, but... No, we're going to need a person who stands up and says, when people shouted at FDR because he was making all these changes and his enemies said he was a socialist and he was killing capitalism, etc., his response was, I welcome their hatred. It's going to take someone who has the courage to... Just make the changes that need to be made, not abusing power, but using the power of the presidency. That's the thing. There was so much that that Biden could do with executive orders. Like everybody keeps talking, the mantle won't let him, cinema Yeah, could, no, there's so many things. He could, whether it has to do with the cancellation of the college loan debt, the Medicare for all and so much, that's what he could do if he wanted to do it.
0: Yeah, the Democrats, they pretend that their hands are tied and they never are tied as much as they claim it's because they don't want to do the things they pretend they can't just that they don't want to do that. So speaking of which, let's bring in some guests who are hopefully going to be Democrats who actually do get things done. We're bringing in two non-corporate congressional candidates. Again, you can catch them on our stream, which is taking place on Wednesday, the 16th. I'll put a link to that stream shortly. It'll be added into this YouTube description. Before I do that, just one really quick update, which is that, of course, you're watching the Katie Helper Show and everyone, welcome to the Katie Helper Show if you're just joining us. If you wanna write a comment, please subscribe for free. You just subscribe to the channel, hit subscribe and then the bell. We have a nice comment for you from Ivan Escobar. I will vote D if you run, you are a big inspiration to humanity. Thank you so much, Ivan, for that and for the super chat. But let's bring it on to the virtual stage. We have Jason Call, who is a husband, father, former public school math teacher, musician and progressive activist running for Washington's second district. And he has served as an elected representative to the Washington State Democratic Central Committee. Also coming onto the stage is Rebecca Parson. People who watch the show know her and love her. She's a repeat offender. Rebecca Parson is a housing organizer and Tacoma Disabilities Commissioner running for Congress in Washington's sixth district. She's the only candidate in the race supporting Medicare for all, the Green New Deal, and national rent control. So welcome. Thank you so much for joining. Thanks for having me.
2: Pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. It's great to see you, Marianne, too.
0: You too, Jason. So I wanted to have you on because you're two people who are very critical of Democrats. In fact, whenever I want to know what Democrats could be doing, because everyone pretends that they can't do it, that their hands are tied, I'll DM or I'll tag Rebecca. And I'll be like, what could a Democrat actually be doing? Because we all buy so much into the mythology that Dems just can't do anything, that their hands are tied. So I wanted to know if you could talk each of you about your backgrounds, your experiences with the Democratic Party, your feelings about the Democratic Party and why you're running as Democrats given who the Democratic Party is today. <laughs> you want to go, Jason?
2: Okay, I'll go first. Um, so, uh Jason Call, Washington's 2nd District, which is uh, northwest Washington going up to the Canadian border um, and from a little bit north of Seattle and the islands in the Puget Sound. And I've been an activist, uh, as it says in my bio, for for 30 years. I got my start in activism uh, protesting the first Iraq war in 1990. I was a student at the University of Washington, and I have continued anti-war activism. But um, I, I my involvement in the, it, with the Democratic Party, um, you know, what, when I first was in college and started to get into uh, politics. And I was a political science um, uh, major. Uh, that was my first degree. Um, I did, I, I got into, uh, local politics. I caucused for Bill Clinton. Um, but as, as I kind of went through the democratic party, I got very, I like, I, I did not vote for Bill Clinton in his second term. I voted for Ralph Nader. I did not vote for Al Gore. I voted for Ralph Nader. I know a lot of people hate to hear that, uh, because they, they, they want to say that Ralph Nader caused, uh, uh, Al Gore to, to lose to George Bush, which is absolute rot. There are so many other reasons. Um, But, you know, just to give you an idea of where my consciousness is now, George Bush was so terrible um, that, and I was inspired enough by Howard Dean and Dennis Kucinich in in 2003 and 2004 that I decided to jump back into local politics and I joined my local legislative district and you know, I went knocking doors for Howard Dean and in 2008 I initially knocked doors for Dennis Kucinich and then he dropped out. I was, like Marianne said, I was enthused by Barack Obama. Again, you know, I worked hard for him. I literally cried when Barack Obama was elected. I was, you know, um, and, and I'm so Anti war, that I actually left the country and went and lived in Cairo for a little while and taught math in Cairo. Um, and you know, I quit a very good job, sold everything I owned because I was so tired of the warmongering and I was so frustrated with my fellow Americans that that they would re elect George and, and Dick, Ch- Dick Cheney. Um, so I left the country, but came back, um, learned a lot being overseas. Very excited to vote for Barack Obama, and then within two years, he had pulled uh, the public option out. And I've been a huge healthcare activist. Um, my mom was impacted by the healthcare system. Uh, I tell my story in my in my uh, ad that you know my my mother was um, impacted by the insurance companies denying her uh, you know a stay in the hospital post surgery that eventually led to her being you know, bedridden, uh, crippled, um, and really having a terrible quality of life for her last 10 years. And that's insurance companies. That's not doctors. It's not nurses. You know, it's not hospitals. It is the insurance companies denying that care. So when Barack Obama pulled the public option off the table, you know, negotiating towards the right wing, I just threw my hands up. I was incredibly frustrated. Now, I did vote for him again. um, And then, you know, but, but I really, really got into, like, I'm gonna have to take the bull by the horns here with a lot of Bernie Sanders activists in 2016. And we, having been involved in the Democratic Party locally, we knew how the caucus system worked and we literally trained people across the state how to caucus? What to expect when you show up? Here's how you need to vote. Here's how the voting's gonna go. And we won the state for Bernie Sanders, seventy three percent. I mean, absolutely destroyed the establishment uh, in the Washington state caucus. And they came back in two years and took the caucus away from us. So now we have a primary because if you look at all the caucus states around the country, um, Bernie won the caucus in in I think every single one of them and won them substantially. So, you know, we are fighting uh, this corporate establishment. and I say this, you know when Bernie, when I, um, Bernie Sanders won in, in 2016 here in Washington State, I had got myself elected to the Washington State Democrats Central, Central Committee. Um, I was part of rewriting the platform to be as a per, uh, the most progressive platform we've ever had here in Washington State. I ran for party chair in 2018, and what I talked about was the Democratic, party needs to get off corporate money. Um, I passed a resolution that we should not be taking for-profit health money. Everybody ignores it. In fact, I was told by party insiders, nobody cares about the platform. You know, we we look at you, people who are all jazzed up about this great platform, and we laugh at you because none of these politicians care because they're all going to take the corporate money to get reelected. So, you know, uh, that led to me, and that led to other people, uh, activists, you know, left activists within the Democratic Party looking at me in 2020 and saying, hey, you got to take on this guy, Um, you know, Rick Larson in Washington State, who's tied to fossil fuel industry money, tied to uh, the military industrial complex, uh, won't support Medicare for all, has said the Green New Deal is not an important resolution. We know where his interests are, and we have tracked his voting record, and it is absolutely atrocious. And most local Democrats don't even realize how bad it is because the details of the voting record aren't even in the final votes. They're in the amendment process. So – as far as running as a Democrat, I have to say, while a lot of people on the left really want there to be a third party push, the reality of the electorate is that third parties simply don't get the votes. Um, we had a Green Party member uh, running in 2018, um, but they weren't a great candidate. They got, they got like half a percent. So if we're going to be serious about taking on the electorate here, we have to be Democrats because that's what appeals to part of the electorate. I mean, some people uh, simply won't vote for either, you know, outside of the Democratic Party, but we can have policies that speak to them. That's the thing is they look at Medicare for all and say, yeah, we want that. Yeah, we want to stop these forever wars. Um, And having a candidate who is like unbought and unbossed, um, like Shirley Chisholm said back in 1972, I mean, that's what we have to bring into the modern age. So, I mean, we can talk about the squad and other candidates, but I, I think the the new candidates that are running this year, the ones that Marianne is supporting, like Rebecca and myself, we are with the Democratic Party because we know that's where the electorate is, but we are going to stand against the establishment of the Democratic Party. Like I will say unequivocally right now, I would not have voted for Nancy Pelosi to be Speaker. You know, and if I was the only person who would not vote for her, then I'd stand alone as the only person who would not vote for her. We've got to do better. So,
0: Rebecca, going to actually read a question on the screen, which speaks to what Jason just said. Democratic parties where good ideas go to die. Why not push the actual if there are any progressive elected members to start a new party within Congress? And you spoke to a bit, Jason, but Rebecca, how would you respond to that? Well, that was what the DSA candidates were supposed to do. DSA calls it the dirty break, and then none of them did it.
3: So that's the problem with having an organization that doesn't hold its members accountable. And uh, we need, if it's going to be a third party or uh, an organization within the Democratic caucus in the House, where there are members who vote and actually hold them accountable and say, okay, you voted this way, you you um, you know, you crossed X, Y, Z line. So we are pulling our endorsement. We're pulling our money. We're going to blast everywhere that we don't support you anymore And we're priming you and be oh, no, no, isn't it better to have somebody in there? No, it's not. They need to actually fight for what you believe in or else what's the point? Uh, so I, yeah. Uh, and the Progressive Caucus, I mean, has so much overlap with the new Democrat coalition. Um, and unfortunately, Washington state is very o- overrepresented in that, uh, the new Democrat coalition because we have the uh, Seattle Tacoma port and a lot of international trade. So we have a lot of uh, free market Democrats, uh, free, free market and balance the my opponent is such a deficit hawk that he brags on his his site that he returned money from his office that was unused to pay off the deficit like who'd you give it to (laughs) come on so anyway should I introduce myself
0: before I continue ranting or yeah I mean I did introduce you but if you wanted to give it for people who are just joining yes yes Certainly. Uh, Sure. Yeah. Rebecca Parson. And my
3: background is I grew up overseas until I was 12 and my mother is German. So I've had a lot of views into how other countries do things and what we could be, what we could have here. And, uh, in Tacoma, I'm a Tacoma disabilities commissioner and, um, I ran in 2020, got 35,000 votes. And then after that, I co-founded a group called Tacoma Housing Now, and we did direct action. We, uh, took over a middle school that had been empty for 12 years, used it for emergency pandemic housing. We got a lot of media attention we started doing stuff like the city refused to pick up trash for homeless encampments. So we got some U-Hauls. We got this idea from uh, the young Lords in the seventies. We went and rented some U-Hauls and went down to the camps, shoveled the mountains of trash into them and then took the entirely full U-Hauls and dumped the trash in front of city hall. And what do you know? They suddenly picked up the trash. And so that's what people say when, Oh, government can't, we can't, we it has to go. We're not service providers. We can't, where do you, we're, I'm a city council member i'm not a service provider Our hands are tied what can i do it's like well lo and behold uh direct action suddenly new things are possible suddenly you can pick up trash in 12 hours and so that's um that's the kind of thing that i'm interested in doing in congress because people why are you running as a democrat Dem- the democratic party is where um is the graveyard of, of movements. Uh, that's, I've heard that, and it's been a saying for a long time, but like Jason said, I mean, in my district as well, I've had past congressional elections, um, before I ran where there was a green, there was an independent, they never got more than 4.8% of the vote. And, um, people say that they hate both of the parties, that they want a third party, but a lot of Democrats, they vote in terms of what they think is electable. Every Democrat is an individual pundit filling in the bubble when they're voting. And so they think what is going to be most electable so that we don't get the Republican. And a lot of people, we have a top two jungle primary system here where everybody just runs against everybody else. And even voters here don't know that we have that. They think it's a closed primary. And so I'll explain, no, there's no absolutely no risk. Best case scenario, you have two Democrats running against each other. So the electorate is in a very different place, even though people are very disillusioned and unhappy. But the positive Uh, One thing that's been really positive for my last campaign, our biggest group of ID supporters by far was uh, seniors receiving under $20,000 a year in income. So very impoverished seniors were my biggest group by far. So when you think, oh, how, how can we get more votes? How can we pull more people in? Young people don't vote, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, we need to pull in young people and renters. I'm going to do that. But poor old people (laughs) want all of these policies. They want social security to be expanded. They don't want my opponent. He joined with, my opponent joined with Republicans to sign a letter calling for social security cuts. And, uh, we blasted that out there and showed people like people are not, um, you can't just put uh, people over 65, they're going to vote a certain way. People 50 to 65, they're going to vote this way. It, It depends on their circumstances and actually being reached out to, and you offering a different solution.
2: Yeah, we we have a two to one district here, um, and I think it's about the same in Rebecca's. And there's a lot of similarity uh, between uh, the race that I'm running, the race that Rebecca's running. You know, I got 35,000. This is my second run. I got about 35,000 votes in 2020 also. Um, And, you know, Rick Larson has also, you know, it's it's been a little while, but he's he's uh, put. Said all things, he's a he's a deficit hawk, right? So he said all things should be on the table when we're considering balancing budgets. You know, so what does that mean? That's a that's a tacit approval of cutting Social Security. So when people start to realize these things, um, because you know a lot of the local party stuff is controlled by you know people who look at the democratic party as more of a um, a social club rather than a vehicle to get policy passed um, and so they they like to show up to the meetings and you know these are people that that are typically retired but they like to rub elbows with the elected officials and they don't like to criticize the elected officials like Honestly, I I Susan DelBene, you probably she's the chair of the New Democrats right now and she's in the 1st district in Washington, but her district overlaps my local legislative district, so I get to engage with her sometimes also. And, you know, she came she came to the a, a local meeting and she was so excited because over half the Democrats are now supporting impeaching Trump, and I said, "Well, over half the Democrats are supporting Medicare for all, why aren't you one of them?" I got called a bully. For saying that, you know, this is a public Democratic party meeting and I just rattled off facts and figures about how Medicare for All was, was the best policy for everybody and saved the country money. And we wouldn't be denying, you know, but obviously we got to cut out the for-profit insurance industry. Um, and these local Democratic Party people who have been there, you know, for for a long time, and I've been there in the background for a long time too, but they they hate that. Oh, it's, it's so bad. Why would you criticize a sitting Democrat? And a lot of us who are running right now are challenging establishment Democrats, and we get that criticism from within the party. Why would you attack the Democratic Party? And my response is, these people actually don't represent the Democratic Party that I think it should be. Right. So I'm there for the policy. You know, I'm not there to support the Democratic Party. I'm there for whatever I can do to support the right policies. You know, it's obviously not the Republicans, but the Democratic Party is not getting it done either. So that's what we are offering to people. You know, we're people who will step up and speak to the policy, speak to the people who are impacted by the the corporate establishment right now. And hopefully that's going to get us the votes, Rebecca and I, to get us onto the general election ballot. And so for the last three months, because our primary is first week in August, we're going to have three months down the stretch where hopefully attention will be on us, D on D in the primary. And we're just going to lay it all out there. And yeah, absolutely. I am going to go after the corporate establishment of the Democratic Party. And if the voters still want that, then they're going to vote for it. But if they want better then they're going to vote for Rebecca and I.
0: Yeah. And another comment that I wanted to put out there just to challenge you guys from Brian, too many justice Democrats will not challenge the Democratic leadership. They praise Biden and Pelosi. Why will Jason and Rebecca be any different? So there is a question of a structural problem, right? Institutional design by which it's impossible once you get into power to do anything. So how would you respond to that?
2: Do you want to take that on Rebecca?
3: Yeah, and I I called on Joe Biden to drop out after the very credible sexual assault allegations came out against him. I took a lot of heat for that and local Democrats started making up trash about me and lies and spreading it. And uh, I he should have dropped out and any other democrat would have been better any any democrat who's not uh you know doesn't have serious sexual assault allegations against them and i'm quoted in politico saying that i have a video coming out where i'm going to take i'm going to talk about pelosi the way pelosi first got into office was she became a very wealthy fundraiser so lots of money lots of connections because of that people who owed her favors and she was able to pull in a lot of money and she beat a dsa candidate to get her seat while promising single-payer healthcare. So that's that's what she's been from the very beginning. Single-payer healthcare beats a DSA candidate, gets in, and now she opposes it. And uh, I'm going to continue to to call them out, I do now. And so, for example, with trying to get concessions from her in exchange for voting for her, like for me, the choice would be, it would be, no, I'm not gonna vote for her. She, I disagree with her on so many things. So she takes practically legalized insider trading. She takes so much corporate money. She crushes any progress. You would have to really, really give me something good to make me wanna vote for that. Instead, instead of just kind of giving it all up and like, well, we're gonna, yeah, we have to vote for her, that kind of thing.
1: You know, Katie, you had mentioned that it was a structural problem, but it's not. It's like what Rebecca just said, it's a psychological problem. The Democratic voters, so many of them have this codependent relationship with the corporatist leadership. You don't see this in the Republican Party. If the Republican Party, I mean, look at people like Eric Cantor. They didn't like him. They got rid of him. They have no problem telling their their uh, Republican leadership. To them, their RNC is just their administrative arm. It doesn't mean anything. Democrats treat the DNC like there's some priesthood or something like that. And uh, I think it's important what Rebecca just said. And it's never time. And you see it right now. People would be looking at us right now. How dare we, when we know that the 2022 elections are coming up, how can you do this right now? It's never a good time. Every cycle, we better keep our mouths shut because what are you going to get Republicans elected? What we're saying is what, what Jason was just saying. The one thing he can, he is in control of is whether or not the voters in his district have the option of someone like him. And so we don't even know. And, you know, the Democratic Party, the corporatist establishment has been saying for so long, no, if you go so far to the left, you go so far to the left, we'll help elect Republicans. What should even be considered leftist about the fact that people should be able to work for more than slave wages? People should be able to work at one job and afford an apartment. People should be able to get a college degree. Children shouldn't live out of their cars. Why should this even be considered a leftist issue? It's a radically humanitarian issue. It's a democratic issue. It's a government of the people, by the people, and for the people issue. And if the democratic establishment doesn't get it, I agree with what Rebecca and Jason have been saying. And everybody who has complaints about the squad, I don't know these people. I would imagine some of them regret the fact that they went along at the very beginning it must have been very seductive. I'm sure Nancy gave people her cell phone, and they got played. I assume they know this, and I can't imagine that some of them don't regret the way they played at a time.
2: And I I would also like to add into that that you know uh, I, I've I've been very public. Like if if I'm elected to Congress, uh, I'm not going to join the Progressive Caucus. Uh, I think I think the progressive caucus. I've called the progressive caucus trash as it stands right now. Um, they they have a ton of new Democrats. Uh, Rebecca mentioned that, that you know we've got seven Democrats uh, out of our ten districts here in Washington State. Uh, Pramila Jayapal is the only one who is not a new Democrat. Uh, a lot of Democrats don't realize that the new Democrats, uh, if you kind of track them back to the third way Democrats that came out of the Clinton era era, they were a, they were and are specifically a free trade caucus. That they were they were given, uh, seated by Koch brother money. Um, and, and Rick Larson has taken Koch brother money in the past before citizens United went into effect and the Koch brothers, you know, could do everything, you know, behind the scenes, Rick Larson took Koch brother money. Um, and, and uh, I don't think a lot of Democrats recognize this, but to to like I could not sit in the table. You guys probably know who Adam Smith is. He's the chair of the House Armed Services Committee. You know, uh, I, I couldn't sit at the same table with Adam Smith and 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 or or any of the new Democrats um, or or you know the, these Democrats that take a ton of money from the war machine and the fossil fuel industry. That's not progressive to me. So so if words have any meaning at all, I I, I would not join the progressive. Caucus until they actually set some standards. In fact, I would hope that a number of us running right now, who we get elected, would form our own caucus outside of the progressive caucus, and then look at people like Rashida Tlaib, who I love. I love Rashida. I love Cory Bush. You know, and I would look at them and I would say, "Come join us, right? Let's us be this voting block. You can let the progressive caucus sort out their issues, right? If they want to have standards, you know, they'll figure that out. But I'm not going to join that because I have standards."
1: You know, if it's okay for us to switch a little bit to the uh, event on, on February 16th, which Jason will be part of and the, and Rebecca will be part of, Katie, I think that's what's so exciting for me and why at CandidateSummit.com, I've been doing these endorsements for a while. Um, Jason and I have known each other. It's wonderful to finally get to meet you, Rebecca. What I see with these endorsed candidates and what you see here with Rebecca and with with Jason, this is what America could be. This is what could be. You know, it's like we're living at a time of two simultaneous phenomena. One's the fall of Rome and one's this world that's struggling to be born. And I just think it's so important that when we listen to people like Rebecca and Jason, that we support them that you if if he answers, you know, to the people who are saying, Yeah, why should we, you know, support a Democrat at this time? Why how you know, aren't I just gonna be disappointed like I was by certain members of the squad or whatever? I just hope that those who are listening to Rebecca and Jason know that Obviously, it's very difficult to wage these campaigns against these corporate-backed candidates. Um, the establishment power is gargantuan. Uh, the money that the corporatists put in is gargantuan. But when you see people like Rebecca and you see people like Jason, they'll help us. If we get them to Congress, they'll help us. But we need to help them to, uh, to get them to a position where they can help us. So I hope that people will support. And Katie, of course, that's why we're doing the live stream on February 16th. Yeah, and we'll have a link to that soon. And you can also people can go now though to candidatesummit.com and see a bunch of these of these candidates, including Rebecca and Jason. Uh, so you can start spreading the word and giving to candidates right now. Um and and telling people, th- th- you know, I, I find it so inspiring to meet people like this because. We do have candidates who are running, representing these sensibilities, representing these policies, representing these possibilities for the United States, but we have to support these candidates and we have to psychologically tune into the fact these primaries are coming up. Uh, Jason was just saying, August, you know, we've got to help these people. It's time to do it.
3: Yeah, I mean, so much is possible. And I think that's been lost. At the beginning of the pandemic, people were saying, well, it's uh, terrible what's happening, but look at what could be done. We could... uh, get Medicare for all by lowering the Medicare eligibility age to zero. But there's so much that's possible. That's not even talked about. And from our own history, like when I talk about national rent control, people are like, no, no, you can't do that. We already did it. We have already had national rent control and we could have it again. Biden could do it with an executive order. He could create an agency that would then implement price controls, including rent control. We could do it nationally. And so this kind of, um, very, very small thinking and fighting online. Uh, like We've forgotten sight of what's possible and what we we could be doing and could be fighting for and asking for.
1: You know, if we look at, at the uh, COVID rates in the United States compared to the COVID rates in other countries, you see the difference between the United States and countries where there's socialized medicine. Why? Because in the United States, so many people had the pre-existing conditions that made them more vulnerable to COVID. Why? Because of the absence of health care. People who did not have the health care to handle such things as diabetes. Diabetes is one of the worst things uh, for someone who has has COVID. But look how many Americans cannot afford their insulin. How many Americans are dealing with health conditions when they get COVID that uh, were those conditions not present, they would not have been so vulnerable. That's what Medicare for All would do. We'd be a healthier country.
2: One of the things I want, I wanted to talk about, uh, Marianne, you brought it up with the with the candidate summit and the fundraiser that we've got upcoming. A federal race is is a huge undertaking. You know, I, I think a lot of people who you know are are. Very active online and very passionate online. Sometimes don't understand what what kind of undertaking it is to try and present yourself to you know seven hundred and fifty thousand people in your in your federal district and try and and try and get them to take you seriously enough to show up. So the fact that you know Rebecca and I ran our races last year and got thirty five thousand votes that's a good start. That's not enough, you know. And we did that on you know I my budget last year was like fifty thousand dollars, you know. So I I am really impressed with my. Myself and my team, but it was an all volunteer. <laughs> it was an all volunteer team that did that. And you know, we're passionate about the policy, and we and we have a pretty good idea of the things that we need to do. But you know, we have to have the money to have paid staff. Uh, you know, we talk a lot about wages. I don't want people working for me for free. If people are going to put labor into my campaign, I think they should get paid for it. You know, that's going to take people donating. And when you take the D, and this I'm strictly, you know, strictly talking about the importance of having the D behind your name. If we took the D away from our name, our fundraising would go off a cliff. It absolutely would.
3: We would be immediately kicked off act blue. And then all the donors wouldn't, how do I donate? What platform?
1: Yep. It's so true. It's so true. And all this anti-electoralism talk that people have gotten into and all this cynicism now. Meanwhile, there are people like yourselves who are out there actually doing it, taking these hits. It's a brutal thing running for office. And I have such such admiration for you that you're out there. And I hope that everybody who listens, just go to candidatesummit.com and put in a few dollars for these people.
2: And and we're also doing it with, you know, Rebecca and I both have full-time jobs. So we're kind of doing double duty, trying to hold down a job where the incumbents running for office is part of their, like. You know, Rick Larson's going around the district talking to all the people about how wonderful the infrastructure bill is. Well, he's campaigning as he's doing that. Campaigning for the incumbents is actually part of their job. They're almost inextricable. So it's not like he has a, has a job and then has a campaign on the side. They're one and the same where, where the candidates who are challenging these incumbents are, are really doing double duty.
0: Rebecca, can I throw a chat to you that is very critical of you, but I kind of want only because I really want to see you respond to it because I I think you'll be able to handle it. Okay. I just think maybe it's a teachable moment. Calling out Biden, me too, not voting for Nancy. What about the foreign policy? What about poverty? What about the police state, non-boutique issues? Do you care about any of those, Rebecca? Do you ever speak out against any of those? (laughs) Yes, I actually
3: one of the things I'm most interested in is foreign policy. Um, I talk about it on Twitter um, the most, for example, what's going on with Ukraine and Russia right now. So um, Russia's about to invade, Russia's about to invade. And Ukraine's like, no, it's not really, we're fine. And then we say, no, here's half a billion dollars to defend yourself against the imminent invasion that you say is not imminent. It's ridiculous, just handing out money to defense contractors as if we haven't done enough meddling in Ukraine already. And then, you know, uh, we... um, you know, we, we think Russia is planning to install a leader in Ukraine. And it's like, wow, that would be kind of funny because we were planning to do the exact same thing in 2014, I think it was. And a call leaked where we were, planning, let's put this guy in and not that guy. Right. And uh, meanwhile, like, Ukraine doesn't even want our intervention. And there's so much we're doing in terms of foreign policy. Um, like I grew up, my... You know, my grandfather was a career army, retired as a colonel. My I grew up overseas because my dad was in the foreign service, and I am very critical of our institutions. Um, I chose not to go into the foreign service because I didn't want to be sitting in an embassy. Um, working on promoting policies and immigration policies and foreign policy that I don't agree with. That's why I didn't do it. But I did learn a lot, and I have since as well. For example, we sell so much so much uh, money, uh, weapons to Saudi Arabia to form what is essentially a modern-day siege on Yemen, starving people. You know, Afghanistan had Uh, billions and billions of dollars of their own money sitting in a bank account in New York, and we just froze it. And so now children are literally starving in Afghanistan. It's just going to get worse. And it's their money. It's theirs. We just said, no, you can't have it. So we've essentially just taken it. Nope, that's ours now. And so I do care a lot about foreign policy and also how it connects with domestic policy, because uh, sometimes people say, well, you have a military um, base in your district. What about that? Well, Some people join the military because they're from a military family or um, they do it out of patriotism, but many people do do it um, out of poverty. It's a poverty draft and they do it because it's the only way they have to, they have to, the only way they can get college and uh, housing and a decent, you know, not, not high enough income is to put their life on the line. Like I literally have to put my body out there as like, put it on, throw it on the gears of the war machine Um, so that I can just get an education. And so if we spent less time and money focused on that, not only would we ease the suffering of people that we're trampling on overseas, but we would be able to spend more time and money on programs for people here. And yeah, so I care a lot about foreign policy. I think poverty as well. Marianne mentioned, you know, oh, all this trumpeting about cutting child poverty uh, in half, but they cut it and rightly noting, like it was only temporary. And if you can cut it in half, you can cut all of it. You know, if you can afford tax breaks for billionaires, you can get children out of poverty. Children should not be literally sleeping in the woods, which they are in my district, sleeping in the woods. And uh, people should not be dying, waiting in line for drug treatment, which they are in my district, and which I've personally dealt with, taking a friend who had lethal blood alcohol content, nowhere would take her, took her to the ER. Um, They reluctantly saw her. And then the next day they dumped her back out on the street. That was her detox because there was nowhere that would take her Medicare, Um, Medicaid. So yeah, I, I take the point that these are boutique issues and it's not necessarily what I would be talking about with voters at the door. You know, they care about They wanna hear about jobs, jobs for all. Like, believe it or not, a lot of Republicans in my district still really like FDR. Um, And there's a big lodge in my district on this lake that uh, it um, kind of looks like the lodge in Dirty Dancing. Um, And they have like the dining hall in it is called the Roosevelt Room. They love it, they jobs. And they remember when he came to the district, um, he was the only one uh, and Since then, no no other presidential candidates or sitting presidents have come to their community and people want jobs. And so when I'm at the door, I'm not really talking about this inside baseball baseball stuff, but it is important, I think, for us to talk about because it's strategy. And um, we need to be serious about power, how it works, how it's used, how we attain it. And then once we have it, how we use it. Um, That's it's really, uh, you know, I think both both sides are important to talk about.
0: Yeah, and I would just, i part of the reason I wanted to pass that question to you is because I think that some people could lean into some humility and, and maybe look into what people are saying and not assume that they're idiots and naive. And Rebecca and Jason have done great work, and Rebecca's done tons of work around housing, She's been unhoused herself, so you don't need to lecture her about how she only cares about boutique issues. I also have a problem with framing Me Too as a boutique issue, but that's another issue. Thank you, Rebecca, for that, because I just wanted to give you the chance, because, you know, people who run for office as Democrats may not actually think that all the power that we need to exert is within electoralism. There are a lot of people who use electoralism, but are fully aware of how important movements are and direct action is, and that's great. And we can have a chat about that. But these aren't the people who are saying it's either or. They could all be together.
1: Yeah. Well, the problem we have today, though, is that movements have less power than they used to. BLM was the largest protest movement in the history of the United States, and it has not led to one serious fundamental legislative change. So in the past, you know, if you look at the Civil Rights Movement, that led to the Voting Rights Act. It led to the Civil Rights Act. Because of money and politics at this point, all the activism in the world, and it's not moving these people off their dime as long as they are at the behest of these corporate forces. And at this point, it's not even—see, this is—to this is, me, it's an argument for electoralism. We have to be proactively for electoralism. It's not enough to try to influence these people now because there are too many ways in which they will not be influenced. They have to be replaced that's where we are. There's no, you know, have this move and then we'll influence them. No, at this point, these people need to be, too many of them have been there too long. They need to go home and a whole new generation of leadership has to take their place in Congress and in the White House.
2: And and when we're talking about the timeline that that needs to happen, it needs to happen very quickly. I mean, I think we're all just, you know, acutely aware. I have this picture, this is Mount Stewart in the uh, uh, Wenatchee Mountains behind me. And I took this picture, um, uh, I I go to eastern Washington sometimes for work, and I took this picture at the height of the, you know, the the heat wave in the summer. uh, And that mountain, even, you know, in the middle of summer, that mountain should be snow capped, you know, and I was just stunned at how little snow there was on Mount Stewart's the seventh highest peak in Washington State and and I think that you know, if we want to set a timeline for things happening, uh, we've really got to do it right now and, and, you know, and, and try and get some solidarity behind, you know, and it doesn't have to all happen with an electoralism. All the movements are important and I'm involved in multiple movements and have been for the last 30 years, you know, but we still have to get legislative changes, uh, happening, uh, or, or we are not going to get, Fossil fuel reductions, uh, emissions reductions, um, and and you know we're just going to spiral out of control with, with with the planet, and that is right now uh, my biggest concern. If you want to put anything that was at the very top of my list, uh, we have got to get a handle on what's happening with uh, with with the climate emergency.
0: Well, this has been great, guys. Really want to thank you. We'll do this again next week. Also, we will be moving right now to call in, and so I want to invite everyone including our guests. They're going to join us there. And remember how to do that. You just check your phones. You just download the Colin app. It's free. And we will see you very soon, literally like in a minute or two on Colin. And thank you so much to all of you. Thank you. Thank you, Katie. Thank you. Okay. See you guys next week. Love you all. Thanks for coming. Thanks for joining the show. Bye everyone. Thanks again for listening to the Katie Helper Show. If you like the show, please join the Patreon at patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And as always, we remind you that this show could not happen without the support of our listeners. Our show is produced by me, Katie Helper, Nick Palm. Brad Bloom is our audio engineer and an associate producer on the show. Our researcher is Joshua Bregman. And our theme song is by the band Cordova. See you next time.